Welcome to this podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope you consider hitting like or subscribe. We hope you will share this audio with your friends and neighbors, help others know about our inclusive, theologically progressive community of faith. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can make a gift at stmichaelsabq.org. In the name of our loving, liberating, life-giving God, amen. amen. Please be seated. A few months ago, when I was looking ahead in the lectionary in our calendar of readings, I knew I wanted to preach on this Sunday, on this gospel reading. I did not know what would be happening in the world. I did not know that a bomb would have exploded in the courtyard of a hospital in Gaza, a hospital which is run by the Episcopal Church in Jerusalem, where a seminary classmate of mine happens to be the archbishop. I did not know that I would be hearing from Jewish colleagues and friends from across the country about the fear that they feel in these days. For some of them, that fear is more than theoretical. There are rabbis in this country who saw members and former members of their congregations killed or kidnapped in a terrorist attack. I did not know that our social media landscape would be so divided on exactly the question Who is at fault? Who is to blame? Palestinians and Israelis, Jews, Muslims, and Christians all need our prayers today and in these days. We are living through difficult days full of rage, terror, violence, and uncertainty. So if today feels a little heavy, welcome. I'm glad to be here with you. We are living through days with rage, terror, violence, and uncertainty. And that last word may in some ways be at the root of the difficulty. We crave certainty. Almost every evening, Kai Rizdahl tells me over the radio that the market thrives on certainty. Many faith traditions sell certainty well. There are preachers out there this morning who are preaching doctrines and positions about which they say to the congregation, you can be certain. And this morning, I am only certain about a handful of things. First, God is love, and too much of religion tries to hide that fact. Second, green chili is far superior to red. (laughs) Third, and probably more to the point, I am certain that certainty is getting us into a great deal of trouble. In our time, too many people are too certain about too much. We are divided from one another. We are convinced that our way is right and their way is heresy. Because of our certainties, we are unable often to hear one another, unable to work together. It has been said, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. If you are certain about something, you can't have faith, can you? Faith requires a measure of doubt. Faith requires humility, epistemic humility, the philosophers say, the humility about what you can know. Faith requires being open to the possibility you might be wrong, at least partially. We could do with more faith and less certainty. Today, Matthew tells us about a group of religious leaders who seek to trap Jesus. And first, they try to flatter him. Did you catch that part? 
We might imagine Jesus did not have much patience for flattery. Then these religious leaders, they build up and they ask the question designed to get Jesus in trouble. And what do you know? They pick taxes. And that Jesus lived in a time that was described by the, washing plate, the, the license place in Washington, D.C. when I lived there. Taxation without representation. Palestine was subject to Roman taxes. And Matthew, the disciple for which this gospel is named, was a tax collector. And having Matthew as a tax collector, as a disciple, was likely a liability for Jesus. Tax collectors were viewed as traitors to their own people. Through the taxes, the people were expected to finance their own oppression. And this wasn't an easy question for Jesus on taxes. Tax questions are hardly ever easy questions. So if Jesus says no, no, don't pay your taxes to the emperor, he would be a hero to the people. But he also could very easily be arrested for sedition. On the other hand, if Jesus says it is lawful to pay your taxes, well, then they could question his adherence to Torah, his, whether he is there with his people. Either answer that Jesus gives, he loses. It's a good trap. And that's what makes Jesus' response so masterful. And Jesus doesn't react with something he's pre-prepared. And Jesus doesn't quote either MSNBC or Fox News. Jesus slows the discussion down. He turns the question back on the questioners. He asks the religious leaders to take a coin out of their pocket. They do. Then he simply says, whose face is that on the coin? And I remember last week we heard the story of the golden calf. An animal's likeness cast in metal was a problem. Having the image of the emperor who claimed to be God, to be divine, having that in your pocket as a Jew was blasphemy. So Jesus calls out his tester's hypocrisy. They're not following their own rules. And then Jesus says playfully, give to the emperor what is the emperor's. Give to God what is God's. Built into that is the question, what isn't God's? And Jesus doesn't choose the sides that he's presented with. He restates the bigger question. Faced with a partisan polarity, Jesus goes deeper. He questions the whole system and points people back to their values. And these religious leaders were certain they were going to be able to trap Jesus. But Jesus doesn't often traffic in certainties. In his own polarized day, Jesus overturned the broken status quo. He brought healing, gentleness, and he assembled an embarrassingly inclusive community of followers. Even the tax collectors were welcome. Even the centurion's kids were saved from death. Jesus' vision of God's love and healing did not make room for partisan orthodoxies. Now, often I hear Episcopalians who denigrate their own faith. I'm sort of looking around and seeing how this checks out, but I know that there are a number of us who struggle with the Nicene Creed, which we're about to say when I go sit down. Notice, though, if I can invite you, notice what the Creed doesn't say. The Creed doesn't use the words, I am certain. And we don't say, we are certain that Jesus was born of a virgin. doesn't say that. 
We don't say we are certain that God's pronouns are he, him. We don't say we are certain that the church always has its act together. At St. Michael's, you know that can't be true. I want to hold open space for daylight in the creed because belief and certainty are not the same thing. Belief is more pliable. Belief asks us to trust in a story, and trust is somehow both more difficult and more flexible than certitude. Faith isn't about being certain. It's not. Faith asks and offers us more. I love this story today of Moses. Moses' relationship with God is one of highs and lows, isn't it? When Moses first receives God's call, Moses immediately asks, isn't there someone else? Moses is invited to stand before Pharaoh, and he's worried. He stammers, but he does it. Moses leads the people out of slavery, and then he has to listen to them grumble. And then, worse, Moses is on the receiving end of God's frustration when the people misbehave. Black liberation theologians explain that what you have to understand about Exodus is timing. It only takes a few days for God to take the people out of slavery, but it takes years to get the slavery out of the people. Those wandering years are tough, and you can understand why Moses wants to see God's glory. You can feel Moses craving for that certainty. If he can just know that all this frustration, all this personnel management, all this work will be worth it, Moses wants to glimpse God face to face. And God's answer comes, no. Moses, you wouldn't survive seeing my glory. So instead, Moses gets to see God's backside. What a metaphor. What a metaphor for the life of faith. Even the prophet doesn't get to grasp what God is like, not fully. We can't fully know God's glory in this life. We only see God from behind. Our role then is one of constant following, constant seeking. The life of faith is not about the arrival, but the journey. Faith is to be found in the seeking. And that sort of faith, the faith that is about the seeking, the faith that is about the journey, it may feel frustrating and incomplete. We crave certainty. But I think in the end, the sort of pliable faith, the seeking faith, is more useful to us. When you have certainty about religious questions, it feels good in the moment. But that certainty tends to crumble on you, especially when life gets difficult. When you have faith, you get used to uncertainty. And faith walks, helps you walk through the uncertain days. And this week, I watched a man of faith, a friend, lead in a way that had to be incredibly hard. I happened to be in the same seminary class as His Grace, Archbishop Naum of Jerusalem and the Middle East. When we were together at Virginia Seminary, I simply knew him as Hassam. And I remember long conversations with Hassam about what it was like to be a Palestinian Christian. In the first year he was at seminary, his family couldn't be there with him because while he had Israeli citizenship, his wife did not. 
and getting the paperwork for her to be able to come to the States and especially to come back to live with him in Jerusalem was very complicated. While he was in seminary, the archbishop at the time, Suhail Dawani, had his papers revoked by the Israeli government. And so the bishop could not leave the compound of the cathedral, could not go do visitations. And what is a bishop in the Anglican tradition if you can't go visit your congregations? It was really hard to be an Anglican Palestinian Christian. And this week I watched as my friend he appeared on the international news after an explosion in Gaza killed hundreds of Palestinians seeking to shelter under the protection of an Anglican hospital. And across the region and across the world, many were quick to lay blame. Palestinians blame the Israelis, Israelis claim it was Palestinians, and if I was in Hassam's shoes, I probably would have said something I regretted. I probably would have put my foot all the way in my mouth. I could have easily chosen a side in the moment. I watched as my friend didn't. In the midst of the outcry from either side, he didn't choose blame, but he stated the obvious. What happened was a crime against humanity. He said those words, but then he didn't point a finger. The archbishop looked exhausted and grief-stricken, and he just told the truth. What happened was a crime against humanity. We must pray for the violence to stop. We must work to bring humanitarian aid to those who suffer. Hassam didn't take one side or the other, and in doing so, he called both sides to account. In these violent and difficult days, God invites us to stop dismissing one another. God invites us to choose to mend difficult relationships by letting go of our need to always be right. God calls us not to certainty, but to faith. Give to God what is God's. Amen.